0: Pete Giuliano, it is uh, Friday, the 10th of November, 2023. Pete, what what number is this? Solder
1: Smoke 249, 249. 249. Crank 249 it in, Robert. Is, Crank it in, Ralph.
0: Crank it in, fellas. The show is on the road. All right. Uh, uh, first, I, I got to say, I, first Pete, the first thing I want to say today on Veterans Day is happy Veterans Day to you. Yes. Happy Veterans Day to Grayson and to all the other veterans who are listening in today. Happy Veterans Day, guys.
1: And it's another important day. What's that? Marine Corps Birthday.
0: It's November the Marine Corps
1: Birthday. Semper Fi.
0: Semper Fi. Yes, you know, we uh when I was overseas at the embassies, this this birthday was always marked by the Marine Corps ball. Yes. which was an important event in in embassy life and Elisa and I attended the Marine Corps Ball at several times, different places around the world, always really nice. Uh, the youngest Marine and the oldest Marine would come out and cut the cake. We did a lot at the War College, too, several years at the War College, so, so really good. Happy Veterans Day, Pete. Yes. Hey, uh, sort of apropos of that, in a kind of weird way, I just came back from San Francisco. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I was out there on the left coast. On your left coast, Pete, yes. I was out there. Did, did we you, you run into my... Gay
1: Spiegelman or Yvonne darger or Kira? No, no, I did not
0: <laughs> run into any of those people who Pete has memories of,
1: <laughs> fond
0: <laughs> fond memories. Maybe we'll just leave it at that. Right, yeah. He has memories of these people. We'll <laughs> the Entertainers, they were entertaining, entertaining San Francisco back in the day, North Beach. But- Anyway, <laughs> um, but, you know, I did a ham radio activity while I was out there. We went out to visit my daughter, who's living out there now, and it was it's really a beautiful city. I mean, what amazing geography on the peninsula there, on the bay. Holy cow, it was really spectacular. But we took the opportunity to go out and put a sticker, a solder smoke sticker. You know, if you know stuff, you can do stuff. I had one in my pocket, and I said... At one point, while as we were moving around, I said, "I want to put this sticker on the corner of Hate and Ashbury, because you guys who are old enough to remember remember Hate Ashbury. I remember as a kid growing up, Hate Ashbury. It was San Francisco. Just seemed so far away and kind of in another universe. But whenever I heard it, I heard about Hate Ashbury. That seemed to be like the epicenter of hippiness in in the nineteen sixties. So." Uh, Elisa and I were wandering around one morning while while Maria was working and we came upon Haight Street. I never I didn't make it to Ashbury, but the next day Maria took us to the corner of Haight Ashbury where I found a post and I put a pic I put the sticker up on the post of at the corner of haight Ashbury right there. So our sticker is now at the epicenter of Hippie Dome. I have a picture of the thing down below. Anybody wants to take a look, you can see the sticker. And Pete, you noticed immediately that there's another sticker on the post there.
1: Yes. <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> Magic <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> we're, not, we're not
0: advocating the mushroom thing. It just happened to be on the sticker well, on the post right you there. You
1: live in San Francisco. Hey, you know, that was a strange time. I, I lived there in 1967. And one of the most interesting things that you had to experience is If you went to a grocery store that had like a meat market, the meat counter was closed after six o'clock. It was a union thing. You could only buy packaged meat. I mean, if you wanted a fresh cut of something, you better get there before (laughs) six o'clock. I mean, how could a big city like this have, but it was a union thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's different. Yeah. Did you have any sourdough
1: bread while you were there?
0: Uh, you know I we went we went to a, a place where they were making sourdough but they were in the process of making it but it was kind of cool because we went into this um, like bakery a famous bakery in San Francisco and as we were sitting there waiting for our breakfast the guy was making the sourdough there but I didn't get a chance to sample it but that'll be on the next trip Pete don't worry
1: yeah they call those pasticceria a oh, oh, pasticceria pastry shop pasticceria yeah
0: real Really, very sounds very Italian there, yes. too. yeah. Really, um, but a great trip, good all around. Hey, also on travelog, I want to make note of something that I came across uh, in the in the course of discussing the the um, the double sideband rig that uh, that has been we've been talking about coming out of Cuba. A f- Cuban phrase that I think is really important that we should we want to incorporate into the lexicon, and that is. Uh, Cacharreo, cacharreo, which I looked it up because I had never really heard this term before, or maybe I had, but I've forgotten. But um, it means basically tinkering, taking something that's old and making it useful in a new way or repurposing an item, you know, what we do, what we do here, Pete. And the Cubans have come up with their own term for it called cacharreo. And I think that this is something that we should definitely incorporate into the solder smoke lexicon. Um, Attention there, Steve Silverman, our lexicographer. And I got a link to this whole thing. It all all started with an article about Andy, CO2AFV, down there in Cuba, who has been home brewing kind of um, solid state versions of the DSB rig, which I think is really, really interesting. Solid state versions of, I think, the Islander uh, rig like that. So pretty cool stuff and uh, check that out. Check that's that's another element of, of travel log we have. We, we haven't been to Cuba, but man, the the knack the is definitely existent on on that island. Hey uh, one other thing Peter, I wanted to mention two a couple other things. I, I, I have joined the DX Century Club, DXCC. Oh, oh, oh I know I know oh, you're mightily oh, impressed. Oh. I know. Look, the, the, the problem the, here, it's it's the kind of paper chase. And kind of awards thing that, that I usually, and I know you usually, kind of steer clear of. But I decided to do the DXCC thing only because I wanted to do it as a kid and never made it. But now I decided, okay, I'm going to try to do it. But I'm, I tried, as soon as I put up the hex beam, I said, okay, game on. All right, so we're only going to do it with the hex beam. And we're only going to do it with homebrew sideband rigs. So homebrew phone, no FTA, no digital stuff, no homebrew phone on the hex beam. And I guess it, it just took me a few months to get it, but it probably took me about a year to get all the confirmations. Now, these days, it's a lot easier. You don't oh, have yeah. to actually wait for the physical card to come in. It's nice to get some of the physical cards, and I got some of them, which is great fun. But the vast majority of the contacts were confirmed by a logbook on the, of the world, L-O-T-W, which seems to be a pretty good system. Anyway, I've got it done. I'm not doing any more awards, no more QSL card collecting or anything like that. But it was was kind of fun. And I'm looking forward to having the... I wish they would put a homebrew endorsement on it. I think they'll only put phone or something like that. But that's okay. Better than FT8, you know?
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's one of those cocktail party phrase droppers. Oh, yeah, I made DXCC with homebrew gear, and, and a bean, running <laughs> yeah. point 0.1 kilowatt, right? Point, point one,
0: point 0.1 kW, point yeah, one yeah, KW. yeah.
1: there you go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, there was another.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pete, you, you're you the one who has brought us uh, a tribal knowledge, but there's a, a corollary to tribal knowledge, and it's called, and you, you've dispensed a lot of this yourself, tribal wisdom, and that's sort of big picture stuff. Tribal knowledge is more kind of narrowly focused on individual circuits or the use of certain components but tribal wisdom is sort of the big picture like the the value of home brewing the value of doing what we do and just this week I came across a good example of tribal wisdom and it comes from a guy who's got a lot of tribal knowledge and a lot of tribal wisdom and that's Rex W1REX oh yeah this is a QRP me guy and he has done all kinds of stuff i ran into hex uh, to rex at a um, uh, a ham fest not long, well, years ago. And he had with him one of the original tuna tin twos. Wow. In a can. And we, were, he and I were joking about how much mojo is contained inside that tuna tin two. A lot of mojo. And I arranged for a mojo transfer ceremony in which some of the mojo of the original tuna tin two would be transferred to the... Um, to the Bidex 17 transceiver that I had built. And we did it by connecting the, um, RF input line from, and anyway, the, the Mojo was transferred. And anyway, Rex was interviewed by, uh, the folks out there at ham radio, uh, workbench, George Zaff, uh, and, and the others, they interviewed, uh, Rex and man, he told some, he told some really great stories. I, I, he told a story about setting up a portable outhouse Ooh. At the Dayton Hamvention. At the Dayton Hamvention. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So he set up the outhouse, and he put inside the outhouse a little shortwave receiver with a BFO, key, key that you got the BFO. And then he, would, he, he seated himself not far away, but close enough to see the call signs on the hams who were walking past the outhouse. And as they approached, he had a little CW transmitter in his pocket and he transmitted their call sign, you know, K6CC. K6CC. This is W1REXK in CW. <laughs> and he he noticed how many of them would stop, like <laughs> look, look into the out. I, I knew this <laughs> would appeal to you. You're, you're, you're the guy with the TV fuzzbuster with it. You know? <laughs> anyway, I had the link up on the, on the page. Check it out. Uh, the The interview with W1REX is uh, is really really good. Great stuff. Pete, time for your bench. What's on, you got a lot of stuff on your bench. I'm so happy to, he, to see that you've got oh, yeah, projects going. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it all starts with a failure, with a failure. And a lot of this work on my bench now was a result of a failure. The computer on my CNC machine died. The computer Ugh. died. And so I said, oh, my God, I'm, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> when that computer died it's all it's over <laughs> the, the <laughs> end of an era <laughs> the end of an era so um it was the motherboard and not the hard drive so what i did is i took the hard drive out and i actually it had windows xp uh, pro on it and i installed it in a windows 10 machine as a second drive not to, not to uh, not to be the operating system but i got access to all the files so i didn't lose the files so that's a Sometimes if you have a a computer motherboard that dies and you've got the hard drive, you can make it a second drive in another computer and you not lose the files. So that's it. So I had to buy a new hard drive, and then I bought a new motherboard, and then uh, I had to buy uh, a copy of XP Pro because I can't find mine because the CNC machine only operates off of XP Pro, not with Windows 10. So I got that working, got got everything going there, and it was uh, kind of exciting. And uh, first of all, my son built the machine, he built the interface, and he installed the software on the computer. So I had to uh, talk with him a bit, number three son. So uh, at the end, when I got everything working, he says, you know what? He said, I have a job opening, I'd probably hire you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you could do that he said i'd probably argue you so I said thanks so then i uh built another machine uh another windows ten machine actually i had uh linux on it and i built another windows ten machine and i got my uh homebrew s d r working and then i added a second band uh to my uh it was originally just twenty meters so now I have a twenty forty s d r running off of windows ten with power s d r power s d r You know, this uh, goes back to our podcast on uh, ICOM 7300. There's a guy, SV1EIA in Greece, who took uh, Flex Radio Power SDR, and he modified the software so he could use it with homebrew SDR radios. So it's really nice. You've got all the functionality of the Flex software, the original Flex software, not the stuff they're using today, but with the SDR-1000. But he made it so you could access it. So there's a guy that got into the software, Bill. There you go, finally. Finally, guy got into the software. So now you can take just a homebrew radio. It'll recognize that it's a homebrew radio. Got that working. So uh, I got that piece working. And and then something else. What did you
0: have to do, Pete? What did you have to do to add 40? Did you have to add bandpass filter?
1: Yes. Yes. It's a relay switch bandpass filter. And that's an interesting three-hour exercise in why something doesn't work. So I have a relay at this end, a relay at this end, and two bandpass filters. And so you power the relays, and it switches between the filters. What I didn't realize, the relays are polarized.
0: When you say they're polarized, do you mean like the, the coil has a diode in there? Yes.
1: Yes. So the diode okay. is in series, not a, not across it, in series. Right.
0: It's not so a snubber. When I,
1: no. So when I, put, when I connected one up, it was right. And so I had them facing each other, so I just took the top terminal of each. But the top terminal was not the right terminal. And it took me So <laughs> was it
0: the, the relay wasn't clicking. The,
1: the relay wasn't clicking. It worked right. But it would be,
0: it, it'd be, it'd be deceptive because I know what you do at this point. You kind of put your ear close to the board. Yeah. And you see if the relay is clicking, right? Now, if one of them is clicking, you'd be fooled. And you'd think, well, both of them are clicking. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But they're not. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, man. Here's the
1: thing. It was weird. It will work on one band. When the relays are not energized, right. it'll work on that band.
0: That that, that's band. right. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it would work on one of the bands, but it wouldn't work on the other band. And I just said, so I thought a bad relay. So I put another relay in there and the same thing. And then the light bulb went on. I said, I bet you those are polarized relays. So then I had to swap the wires on one of the connections and now they, they both work. You
0: know, it's funny. I We, we were just talking about <laughs> this on the Solder Smoke blog, and I had put in there about using relays I think for pretty much the same purpose and I just mentioned that you know I I just as a rule anytime I put a relay in any of my circuits I will put a diode and a cap across the coil. Now we have had guys from the Vienna Wireless Society kind of scoff at that. Ha! All you need is one. Just put one anywhere in the radio and it'll take care of the whole thing and i'm like i don't know i don't first of all i don't know about that second of all what happens when i'm just testing it and i'm just using the one and i don't have a diode across it and the back emf blows up all the circuitry in the in the radio it's better safe than sorry so i just put a you know a 2 cent diode and a cap in there yeah and bob is yeah, my uncle yeah. but you know i mentioned this and somebody else who was reading it came back and said, I don't think he really yeah. had focused before on the need for these kind of snubber diodes. And he said, well, why don't they just put the diodes inside the circuit? Uh, and what you what you describe is not really a snubber. It's kind of close. Polarized. It's just kind of reverse polarity yeah. Protec- protection. Yeah. 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 But you'd still need the snubber there, right? Yes, I did. Yes, you would. Yeah, yeah. I did.
1: So they both got yeah. snubbers in both ends. So then when I built the... The uh, low pass filter <clears throat> using the W three NQ and same relay switching, but this time I remembered <laughs> you, they're, they're polarized. They're polarized relays, and you gotta you gotta make sure you put the right connection when they were facing. There you go, it, ladies I, they, you know. They, I said okay, the top connection this, top connection this. No, I had to go crisscross.
0: There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Tribal knowledge. Yeah. Tribal knowledge being imparted yes. by. Pete Giuliano. There you go.
1: So the next project I work on, if you look in the behind me, is I took the shirt pocket transceiver and what I did is I added uh, the Digi VFO and that sort of thing. And there's the, there's the real device right here in my hand.
0: Wow man, very cool. And I can see it.
1: It got the, got the little display on it. And boy, these yeah,
0: I got a picture I got a picture of it up on the on the blog page for the yeah. podcast. But there it is. It's good yeah. to see it in video.
1: Yeah. So these little displays, I just bought a couple more, two dollars and fifty eight cents.
0: These are the OLED displays, right?
1: Yes, two fifty eight, yeah. sixty five thousand colors. Yeah. So really nice, Amazing. really nice, really make makes it work nice. So working on that. So now I had to order some parts from uh, China for the tube rig. So I'm back working on the six BA six six BA six transceiver. <clears throat> Because yeah, you're
0: going to do an all 6BA6 six six transceiver. 6BA6, six six, so I have... Grayson, the, Grayson loves it, because all uh, thermatrons.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I built the um, audio amplifier stage, and just yesterday, and up on my blog is a picture of the driver stage, and then the, the final stage is going to be... I'll get to that maybe today, maybe tomorrow. So then what I have is a solid-state transceiver exciter package, so I can provide a low-level single sideband into this stage and test it. So the the view here is I have a known working single sideband transceiver at the low-level stage, and then I'll feed that into the power amplifier. So this way, the only thing I have to worry about is getting the power amplifier to work. Not trying to get the whole radio to work. I've got something to work. So the,
0: the whole thing will eventually be a hybrid with yeah, solid no, state. No, no, no. The
1: whole thing. Will no, be you're going to
0: do. good? Okay. So you're just doing using the solid state rig as a test base. Yes.
1: Yeah, so then the next okay. next thing beyond that, once I get that working, I'm going to take the LM380 audio amplifier out, and I already built the 6BA6 audio amplifier, so I'll put that on there.
0: Oh man, so this is great. So you're going it's like you're it's like a time machine, Pete. You're going back into the nineteen seventies. Yes. Sixties. Maybe the sixties. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. I like I, it.
1: But I'm but uh, but I'm using something that I know works. Okay. Instead of trying to say, Okay, I got all the parts here and it doesn't work, Where, where's the problem? I know kind of a critical piece, so I'm taking one module at a time and getting that to work. And then later on, I'll take uh, the ADE-1, disconnect the ADE-1, put a 6BA6 product detector.
0: Oh, man. So
1: this way, you use that as a development process. So this way, I know that works. So now, why isn't this working? And you get everything to work.
0: Now, Pete, I don't want to be snarky here. Yes. I don't mean to be, uh, but but there may be an element of snark here. Are you going to use the same process with the SDR architecture?
1: Like <laughs> how would I do that? I'd be different. wrong.
0: There'd be, be a lot of six ba sixes in there, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to do that. Yeah, that's
0: a, that's a lot. I, I I well, I'm just I'm just kidding around, Actu- bit,
1: actually, now that you mentioned it, uh oh, here S, we go. My SDR is just two ADE ones. So if I had two bidirectional six ba sixes. They could do it. Yes, that would
0: work. Yeah, but it'd but, but be, be rough to try to replicate that FPGA in 6BA6s. Six yeah. I, I understand that might be All a bit room. difficult. But that is that is really cool. I You know, I, I have a preference for that kind of construction that you're doing, the 6BA6 six six construction. And you're taking it to a higher level because you're even going past, you're saying, well, I don't really like the, the discrete transistor element. I want to go back to discrete... Thermatrons, which I'm sure, like I said, it's this is a this is a Veterans Day gift for yeah, Grayson well, that you're giving him here. Yeah, well, the
1: whole idea came from the Germans. During World War II, the German yep. field radios had all the same tube in the sockets. Every two, it was these kind of rudimentary field radios, kind of like a regen and a one or two tube transmitter. It was the same tube in each socket, and you lift the case lid, and there's one spare tube in there. So their idea yeah. was that tube <laughs> would work yeah. in any socket. So I said, this this why always you reminds do that? me of
0: like the uh, the mate for the Mighty Midget receiver, the tube type receiver that used 6336U8 six, three, three, six tubes. 6U8s. Six 6U8s six were a dual triode pentode. So actually you're getting 6 tubes for the price of 3. three. Yeah. But then we were looking at this and we discovered that the 6U8s and Grayson was the one who kind of alerted us to this, they do not age well. 6U8s right so you just replace it with a six ea8 and i bought a bunch of them i think from antique electronic supply or someplace else i popped them in there and bam the performance <coughs> performance of the mate for the mighty major went right up so that was a that was a good move but uh wow this is that's an interesting that's a that's a really cool project how when do you think you're going to be finished with
1: oh, it? oh it's going to take a long time because you know i build and then i got my duties i go go to the uh boarding care facility in the morning and in the afternoon so I only got a little window between about 11 and and 2:30. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know it
0: it it's good because it imposes a certain amount of time discipline on you. Yeah. You say okay, I got this time slot. What am I going to do here? I remember this was the kind of, same kind of time pressure I faced when I was was working. I'd get yeah. up in the morning and I realized, man, I got an hour and then I got to head out to work. What am I going to do in this hour? I'm going to do one board. That's it. And so I, I would would do it that way. So yeah, but it sounds like you're you're well on the way, and soon will be soon you'll have that six ba six rig behind
1: you there, Pete. <clears throat> one one of the things I, I'm going to try to do, once I get the power amplifier stage where the driver and the power amplifier, I want to put a TR relay in there. So I'm going to try to actually use it on the air with just that stage. So yeah, you know what?
0: I whenever I put a TR relay in there, I have to very often I have to put a second relay in there. To fire the point 0.1 KW <laughs> amplifier. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so I have a
0: I have a an amplifier key line. So I've got all my rigs rigged up so that when I hit the push to talk on the D one oh four, it also keys the relay that turns on the yes. amplifier. Because you you know you can't have the amplifier running when you're on yeah, receive. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, kinda cool. Great stuff, Pete. Really really excellent, excellent stuff. Anything else on the bench?
1: No, but the uh, I, I do want to finish that six B A six. I actually had did this before was six AK5s, and I got the receiver working, and uh, then we involved in a, in a move, and uh, a ham friend of mine, I said, look, I haven't finished this, I just gave it to him. I regret I didn't do that, because I was closer to getting the 6AK5 working, versus starting off a fresh year with a 6BA6, but I bought six... Fifteen six ba six tubes for nine bucks, <laughs> and they're all good. Did you
0: run through the tube test? Yeah, they're all good.
1: They're all good.
0: They're all good. All right. I get I, this. Might be one of those tubes that ages well. Yeah. Unlike the six u eight, good. So excellent. So all right, Thermatrons. Thermatrons on the march. Hey Pete, another thing that's on the march. We're back in business with the Bezos bucks.
1: Oh, got work it working again.
0: Got it working again. We have now entered into the shameless commerce division. And I remembered listen, here was the problem. I had this cool little icon on the corner of the solder smoke page. And the deal was anytime anybody from Solder smoke or wherever started their Amazon search on that little block, boom, cha-ching, Bezos sent us some money. And it was really great for a long time. But then it just sort of disappeared. I mean the computer software guys at Amazon changed something around and it disappeared and guys kept sending me messages saying it was there one day and not the next or there in some parts of the world and not the next or there under one browser but not the other one. And it was a real mess. So I kind of just gave up on it and figured it was too hard. But then I said, wait a second, wait a second, there's got to be a way to crack this code. And so I started asking around and a bunch of people came to my assistance, including Todd Carney out there. On the, Portland. Uh, in Portland, mostly DIY RF, and we started exploring what was going on, and we finally figured it out. Anyway, all Amazon wants you to do now is when you put one of these little icons up there, you have to am- you have to advertise a specific product. Here's the kicker, though: the user of this little icon does not have to buy that specific product. Right? It's just an advertisement. There. the th- the key thing is is a little search block. So you can put whatever you want in there, right, and search for it. And then if you buy it within a day, cha-ching, Solder Smoke gets a bit of money. So I would just urge everybody, anytime you're thinking about doing an Amazon purchase, use the, use the link that I have up on the Solder Smoke blog, because that will then send us a few, a few pennies from Bezos. It will help support the Solder Smoke blog and podcast effort.
1: If you bought a Maserati, how much you get?
0: Man, I, well, let's see. It would be like 5% of 35,000. <laughs> oh, okay. So it would be a few thousand bucks, man. <laughs> That's right, 365,000, yeah, right? Yeah. So maybe 15 grand. Yeah. So buy that Maserati yeah, out there, guys. Yeah, yeah. And, and Soda Smoke will get 15 grand. All right, yeah. excellent. But but you know, you do see some people every once in a while buy some high end stuff. I recommend No, everybody needs a spectrum analyzer, Pete, yes, right? Yes,
1: 4,000 bucks.
0: Uh, yeah, none, none of this tiny SA stuff. No, the real Spectrum Outlet, yes. the big one. Yes. You know, Get one of those. You need one.
1: Yes. Everybody needs yes. one. Yes, absolutely. Nick DeVick
0: has one. Yes. Why don't you have one? Yes. How come I don't have one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, the other thing I want to mention here, now that we're in the Shameless Commerce Division, is what's going on out there. We mentioned him just a moment ago with Todd in, in, in Portland, out in the Silicon Forest. Forest. Yes. The single, Silicon Forest of Oregon in portland he runs a company that he set up out there called mostly diy rf we've been talking about it quite a bit and is the project that is of most interest to us is that he is coming out with a kit of your design pete the p3st the uh what does p3st stands for pete's
1: simple single sideband transceiver
0: Ah, oh, yeah a ps3t yeah. ps3t the pete's single simple single sideband transceiver all right so Todd is putting together uh, a really cool kit that is going to allow people who want to build this thing to do kind of one-stop shopping and get all everything you need to put one of these things together. He tells me that he is confident that the uh, PS3T will be released on the promised December 18th date. So uh, there, Todd has many other kits available. Check out the website I have the link up there on the Solder Smoke blog. It's mostly DIYRF.com, but you can just click on the link on the blog. The other thing is he has a really neat newsletter that keeps people informed on things like when the uh, PS3T kit will be out. And you can sign up and subscribe to the newsletter. I also have a link to that on, on the blog, but I recommend that you guys do that.
1: He, he's got something exciting coming out as a part of that transceiver. He's got this module and the module has got uh, the <clears throat> complete IF stage on it. It's got the first IF amplifier, second IF amplifier, and the crystal filter sandwich in between. And it's a plug-in. Uh, so, it's really pretty cool. Yeah, so to me, if you're a home brewer, you can buy just that module and experiment to your heart's delight. I mean, if you want to use it in, in some other application, you just buy that module. you got everything there. I mean, it's just plug-in.
0: It's right there. Really good stuff and... A, a lot of great ideas from from Todd out there in Portland. So, please take a look at his website and uh, and and grab grab one of those kits when they come out on December eighteenth, because all the cool kids will have one. Pete.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's right. I said, <laughs> I said when I looked at it, I was so excited. I said, gee, I might buy a kit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, then, but but then you you'll have to complain about the design. You'll say, man, this design sucks. <laughs> It doesn't work, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll say, "Wait a second! I, I designed it." <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, got to move over to my bench here, man. I, I got a lot of stuff going on here, I, I, and 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 I, I'm blessed with more time than they, than you have at this point, Pete. So that's why I'm kind of doing a little bit more. Uh, I am retired now, so uh, you know my my time is is more available, and my and my kids have moved to distant cities, so it's uh, you know. We go out and visit, but in the meantime, I'm here and I have time on my hands, so I got to build radios, you know. So I I told you a while back that I built the um, the 1510 transceiver. It's got an IF at 25 megahertz, VFO runs around 3.3, 3.8, and on one side we add, one side we subtract, one side we get 10, one side we get 15, and so it's a pretty simple little dual bander. I like this is the third dual bander that I've worked. However. When I built it, I noticed kind of after a while, after the initial euphoria of, wow, it works. Holy cow, I can make contacts on 10 and 15 meters. I noticed that the tuning on one end of the capacitor (laughs) dial was less than comfortable. He's chuckling. See, he's laughing. He knows. He's saying he's got the solution right behind him. Yeah, but
1: this is like helicrafters. I could not understand for the life of me the SR 150, the SR 160, CW portion of the band, it's like this. Sideband portion of the up at the end, it's like this. I know. I mean, I know but I,
0: I thought I, I thought you were gonna you were gonna jab me with an SI 5351. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> a rotary encoder. I mean, but there,
1: there's same thing with national. I know. And and Galaxy
0: solved that problem. Galaxy solved the problem, and Halicrafters solved the problem and drake solved the problem because you get all these other rigs from the same era that don't have this kind of bunching up problem all right so if i look at the uh, the front panel of the D- of the drake 2b receiver it's the linear. dial is completely linear. Yeah. I mean, one turn of the dial at one end of the, of the band is, is, you know, 10 KCs and you go completely at the other end of the band, one turn of the dial is once again, 10 KCs. It's, it's a linear dial, dial, dial scale linearity or dial spread linearity. But I noticed that with the the VFO that I had thrown together for the 1510 rig, it was stable. It was really good, really nice and stable. Uh, but it was the, the, the dial scale was far from linear. So I was, if I was at one end of the band, man, tuning would be very, very critical because I would move that, the, the tuning dial just a little bit and I would have like a massive frequency change. So it made it uncomfortable. At first, I thought that there was something wrong with the cap of the reduction drive. But then I started to measure things and I realized, no, we're back in the bunching up problem because tuning was pretty good at the other end of the, the, of the, of the tuning range. There it was fine. It was just at the one end of the range. It was really bunched up. So I remembered then the, um, uh, how to, how to take care of this. And that, that is to use, um, a, 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 a dial band spread, uh, arrangement. And there's a great, um, uh, kind of website out there that you can use. And I have it on, uh, on on the blog. I have the link to it. It's Dial Scale Linearity Spreading Out by uh, a fellow named Bob. And Bob, let me get his name here. Hold on a second. I got him here. Let's see. Okay. Um, where is it here? George, email, HBHB, Bob Taylor, Markrishnan.com. Okay, uh, Bob Weaver, the Dial Band spread Linearity, he's got a website called Electron Bunker. And it is a really useful website because what you do with this thing, it's a calculator. You plug in the frequency range that you want to cover. You plug in the value for the coil that you're going to use you plug in like the 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 capacity for the rest of the circuit like the feedback circuit capacitance you plug that all in there and then you also plug in the style of capacitor a variable capacitor that you're using there's one style called midline centerline there's another one called straight frequency capacitance right straight or straight capacitance straight straight capacitance not just just straight capacitance you plug that all in And then it gives you a little display that shows you exactly what the linearity of the dial will be under those circumstances. So I went ahead and plugged in the the components that I had used for the original VFO on the 1510 rig. And and sure enough, it showed it all bunched up. Then I said, okay, let me use Bob's calculator. And I'll play around a little bit with the coil values. And I'll play a little bit about, about, and this is critical with the padding capacitor that's in series with your variable cap and what he calls the trimmer, which is another capacitor in parallel with your variable cap. And I plug that in. And just by fiddling with it a little bit, I was able to, to cure the bunching up problem and get a linear dial spread, band spread, dial spread linearity out of the whole thing. So basically, I had reproduced what what Galaxy and Halicrafters and, and Heathkit had done. But with the other manufacturer that you mentioned, who, who failed? Who failed back in the 50s? Uh,
1: actually, it was helicrafters. The SR 160 was national. Yeah.
0: The HT37 transmitter is quite linear. Well,
1: the, but the, the SR 160 and 150 has that problem.
0: I, I, yeah, and you, all, you also see the problem in the really cheap, like S38E. Uh, you know, or, or or even or even the the receiver that I used as a novice, the Lafayette Lafayette HA six hundred. The problem was that forty meter CW band would be about that wide, right? And yeah, to to make contacts in there was not for the faint of heart. But anyway, I, I, so then what I what I did, and this is something that you recommend a lot. So I got this design, this design, the the parameters for Bob Weaver's. Um, Improved fifteen ten VFO using his website, but before I actually built it, I went to LT Spice and I built the entire VFO in LT Spice, and then I just looked and I could see I could get it oscillating in LT Spice, which is pretty pretty cool. But then I said, okay, set the capacitor at one end of the dial at nine say nine picofarads. What frequencies am I getting out? Then move it over. 150 what frequency am i getting out that gives you the frequency range the frequency range was was right so i could tell i was in the right frequency range then i could fool around with a little bit and say okay if i just move it a little bit if i move it say 10 degrees on one end what's the delta frequency move it 10 degrees on the other end what's the delta it looked about right so i i thought i i was pretty sure that i had sort of done what bob's calculator recommended and only at that point did I then go ahead and build it in the real world. I went over onto the bench, and built one, and then was able to really physically power it up, put a frequency meter across it with the proper load, and then I I, I made this little device where I could actually with a little piece of cardboard where I could just measure a 10 degree turn, and what what does a 10 degree turn on the on the on the tuning knob look Del- like?
1: Delta f for a 10 degree turn.
0: Right. And I would I would do a delta F for a 10 degree turn and I did it all the way across the, the tuning range of the capacitor. And you know, it's it's not it's not perfect because my measurement techniques are not perfect. I mean I might I might be moving the thing 12 degrees and not 10 degrees, but it was clear that the the bunching up problem had been resolved. And and so then I, I put the thing into into the rig. I have it in there now, and and it is much easier to tune, and I could just tell that the, 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 the dial scale linearity problem has been been tank, taken care of. So thanks a lot there, um, uh, Bob Weaver, for that, that calculator from the Electron Bunker. I have links to it up there. And anybody who's thinking about building a rig like this, I, I, I really recommend it. It's worth the trouble to go through and see, all right, not just is the VFO going to be stable, but is the tune, is the dial tuning going to be more or less linear so you can avoid this kind of bunching up problem?
1: Well, you know that's really critical, Bill, because uh, your your actual VFO is in the in the in the seventy five meter band, isn't it? Three three three. three yeah, point that's right. Seventy five meter. Yeah. band. So yeah. <clears throat> when you look at it in the seventy five meter band, you got a lot of you'll have a lot of capacitance for for the yep. inductor. So the delta F that you make, uh, delta C that you make, uh, shouldn't shouldn't. Change it a lot. It should be. I mean, if you built it at fifteen megahertz, you just look at it. It'll it'll jump twenty kilohertz. Uh, right, saying. right, right, right. So th- yeah. so that effort is well worth it because at that lower frequency, you should be able to get a more linear dial than you would say running it at a fifteen megahertz. Fifteen yeah, megahertz would that's present it. some problems.
0: But what I what I discovered though, just fooling around with the calculator, was that. The critical, there's, there are kind of three critical elements that you have to keep in mind when you're trying to get dial scale linearity. One is the size of the coil, all right? So the size of the coil is going to determine the the, the total capacitance that you need to get it resonant at whatever frequency you're operating on. So you got to play around a little bit with the, the, the size of the coil. And I found that I had to reduce the size of the coil. I started out with like nine microhenries, but then I went down to about three microhenries and it worked a lot better. I was able to get it linear, but the other two critical elements are the padding capacitor that you put in series with the variable capacitor, and the trimmer cap that you put across the 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 the, uh, the capacitor the tuning capacitor. Now I gotta say I don't really fully understand why it is that you could take a capacitor that would by itself, if you just put it in there by itself with an appropriate value of inductor would result in a lot of bunching up. Why? By reducing the inductor, and by putting large values of trimmer and padder in there, you end up with a spread out. You know, you, you crack the code on that. I have to play around and think about that a little bit more. The
1: product over the sum. You, you've got those two capacitors in series. It's like resistors right. in parallel. And right. the product over the sum is going to change dramatically as you change those values. Like for instance, if you got a one ohm resistor and a ten ohm resistor, you essentially have a one ohm resistor in parallel. Right, 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 right. Okay, right. so if you got a real small one and a real big one, but if you had like a a, a ten ohm and a ten ohm, you'd got a five ohm. So the number is different. So the, so that, ah, yeah, that that's changing. So you could plot that scale, and 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 use Excel to look at that difference. But the thing is, it's those two capacitors in series. One is a smaller value than the other, is it not? Big time. Yeah, so that's why you see that, that delta change in the bunching up.
0: Like the patter that I have there, <clears throat> the patter capacitor is it's like 2,000 picofarads. The tuning capacitor goes from 9 to 150 picofarads.
1: Oh, 10 to 1. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, it spreads it out. Yeah, yeah.
0: Actually, if you're not careful, you you'll start to see it bunch at the other end.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Which which is, is it's really interesting, but it's a it's a really useful tool, and I I strongly recommend it. You know, um, this gets to us another 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 thing, Pete. I, I've I've usually been building around twenty meters and seventeen meters, but this is the first rig that I built for all the way up at ten meters, and I just discovered that ten meters building at ten meters is harder. You're on the border of VHF here. You know, if you go, if you went from 10 to 6, you'd be in the VHF range. And it just means that you know, decoupling is more important, shielding lead is length. more important, lead length, lead length is important, and everything critical. else.
1: Yeah.
0: I actually did a little calculation on this thing. Use an LT Spice. I took uh, just pieces of wire, and then I I said, okay, let's pretend that these these two pieces of wire. Let's put them in LT Spice. And call one the primary, one the secondary, right? And then measure the inductance of the wires, the two wires, plug that into LT Spice, but then take a signal generator and see how much gets across if you put, say, fourteen megahertz through that wire, as opposed to twenty-eight megahertz through that wire. And a lot more gets through at twenty-eight megahertz. Sure, so sure. that's that's just something that's happening all the way through. This got me to the the problem. I started noticing that my beloved EB63A 0.1 KW linear amplifier that I've been running so happily on 17 and 20 and on 40 um, was getting unstable at, at 10 meters. And, you know, it was driving me nuts a little bit. Allison helped me out quite a bit. And I think we finally came to the conclusion was that I just had too much stuff crammed into one box. I had not only the amplifier, but in the same box without a lot of proper shielding. I had all the low pass filters, so you recommended, you had spotted a, a Tentech low pass filter bank and I got it and I, I first, at first I thought I was going to try to cram it in the same box, but then I said, wait a second, why am I doing that? So I built it in a completely different box with a completely different switch on it and everything stabilized right away. Bob was my uncle. And so we got rid of that thing. But it just, it's just a reminder that, um, that 10 meters is harder. You know, this, this got me when it, with a 10 and 15 meter rig. I did something with this rig that I, I had not done. And I, because I began to suspect that not only did I have this problem with the amplifier, but because I'm using plywood boxes with no shielding, that it's easy, it'd be pretty easy for RF from my antenna to make it back into the to the rig and start getting feedback and spurs and all kinds of ugly stuff. I have the tiny SA here, so sometimes I'd run the tiny SA, the spectrum analyzer on the bench, and I could tell whether I was getting feedback through the rig or back through the amplifier. So I decided, okay, I'm going to I'm going to actually shield up this thing. And I I kind of retrofitted. I bought some copper tape uh, that uh, Amazon sells. The, the cool thing about this copper tape is that the, um, the adhesive on the back of it is conductive. So if you overlay the tape, it's, it's making one piece. So I, I did copper on all of the, let's see, one, two, three, four, six or eight surfaces on the inside of this thing. And I put the whole box back together. And even though it's wooden, it's got an interconnected shell shield? of, yeah. of, of uh, yeah, it's like, it's like a shield there. And, um. Uh, and I think that that helped quite a bit too. Although uh, I, I'm violating, I'm continuing to violate the rules about shielding the VFO, Pete. Everybody, all kinds of people will say, "Oh, the VFO has to be has to be very carefully shielded." At one point, somebody said, "You have to get a hermetically sealed box," you know, from Funkin' Wagnall's porch or something like that. And um, now, I, I, my I, I, when I look at the all the VFOs from the, a lot of other rigs, I don't I don't see that kind of uh, fastidiousness, I, and it works fine.
1: I, I wanted to share something with you that I spotted, and this, this uh, I think his call is 4Z4 GE, 4Z4 GE, I think that's his call. Anyway, I spotted this uh, <clears throat> homebrew single sideband transmitter, really nice looking outside of the, of the case, very functional, you can tell this guy's got the knack, I mean, he built something. So then he lifted the lid off, and I looked at it, and I, I, I said, say what? He had taken a bunch of ARC-5 surplus parts and built it into his transceiver. You could see the ARC-5 parts. But what he did is he cut down an ARC-5 receiver cabinet. You know, the ARC-5s are kind of long. He cut it down so it was only about four inches deep, and he kept all the gear mechanism and everything, but this was really shielded. (laughs) I mean, he went through a lot of effort to cut down that, that chassis, but he said... He, he has no problems with the bfo and as a matter of fact then he packs styrofoam around the the arc 5 case temperature to keep the temperature keep the thing cool he said that thing doesn't move
0: <laughs> yeah i mean uh, you know I, I, I it's one of those things where i think okay theoretically it it it'd probably be be better yeah but when you look at the amount of effort that you have to put well, in to yeah get, <laughs> i mean it's it's like building a it, it, it at least doubles i think yeah the construction effort. Oh, Whereas nice. if you just take the thing and build it on a pine board stage by stage, like I do, it, you know, and it works just as well. Well, so you
1: got to take a look at the other side of this thing. You know, we do a lot of voltage regulation on on our VFOs, you know, three yeah. terminal regulators, or you use a zener diode or what have you. Zener, yep, yep. The Collins PTOs have no voltage regulation on them. Oof. None. They're wow. <laughs> And I say, how do they do that?
0: <laughs> how do Why they did they do, do that?
1: How do they do that? There's, matter of fact, but they did do, uh, there was a mod to the KWM2 because they found when they were in Vietnam and using these, it would get like 130 during the day and 70 at night. That voltage swing was significant. So it was affecting it. Yeah. So they did add a 150 volt zener uh, diode on that. But most stock, Collins PTOs do not have voltage regulation on them.
0: <laughs> you know, this reminds me of a problem that I was having when I first got back into ham radio, probably around 1993. Um, it was in the Dominican Republic, and I was running my Halicrafters HT37. <clears throat> and I would notice that I would go in there sometimes during the day, and I couldn't get it to go from T to R. You know, I'd, I'd change this little switch on the front panel from you know, transmit to receive, and I could tell the relays were just not firing. But then I noticed that this problem never happened at night.
1: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. The problem
0: was that during the day, I was using electricity from the local power company, which the voltage might have been significantly down. It might have been down at like 100 volts, right? Oh! (laughs) When I switched over to my generator at night, I was at 115 and the relay worked fine. Uh. (laughs) jeez. Oh, <laughs> so, right, so you there nuts. You go. drive you nuts. It will, it, will, it will drive you nuts. Hey, um, a couple other things I just want to mention on the bench here. Um, you know, uh, one of the other things I did with the 1510 rig, and this was a uh, result of a suggestion from our friend Farhan in India. Um, I was looking at the bandpass filters, and I had started out using bandpass filters that were but all of them were essentially kind of low pass bandpass filters. If you looked at the curve they looked like low pass filters. But Farhan pointed out that with the with the uh, with the scheme that I'm using, I need one of them to be low pass, but the, I need the other one basically to be high pass. So he recommended taking a look at high pass bandpass filters. And so what I did on the 1510 rig, especially for 10 meters, I uh, I came up with a high pass bandpass filter is different. And I, I put it in there. It was an immediate effect. I noticed an immediate reduction in the number of spurs coming through. So I, I did a blog post on crushing spurs with better bandpass filters. And I thank you, Farhan, for the suggestion on that thing. What, one thing I wanted to work to mention, Pete, was that one of the things that goes on when you're doing all these kinds of changes is in rigs, for example, changing the BFO, the, the VFO. you The old circuit that you pull out is like 90% there so let me reach over here let me show you so I have I have a couple of boards that are from like earlier Let me put on my headphones here again earlier iterations of the rig all right of the 1510 rig so for example let me hold it up to the camera here you guys can see it this is a 10 pole crystal filter that I built it's perfectly good all right I have it actually have marked on the back what I built But I I went with another one. But this one's perfectly fine. It's at the same frequency. It's at 25 megahertz. So that could go into a new version of the 1510 rig. And here's the original uh, VFO circuit that I built. A Tesla coil. (laughs) I know. It really looks cool there. It looks like you got a Tesla coil in there. It's just an old coil. But what I'll do is I'll rebuild this using... Now, look, the the, the key element is the QF1.
1: Oh, another one bought the does. (laughs) I know I know
0: I I feel bad about it but not that bad but anyway I'm going to take this thing and rebuild it so it's got the same dial spread linear characteristics of the new one but the bottom line is that I have a box with like parts for the 1510 rig I have another one I see another one's in the works yeah I'm really enjoying 15 and 10 now that we're at this point in the sunspot cycle lots and lots of dx especially on 15 on 10 great stuff so um, I might uh, build another one there Pete, can I tell you about the Herring Aid Five?
1: Yes.
0: A sad story. This is a really sad story. I'll do. I'll go through it, right, kind of quick, because I've kind of obsessed with this thing. People have told me that I'm obsessing. Um, All right. So I tried to build the um, the Herring Aid Five receiver, which was the receiver companion to the Tuner Tin Two. The Herring Aid Five was in a QST in July 1976. I was 17 years old, and I really wanted to build a receiver. I thought all hams should build a receiver. I had never built one. This was the perfect thing because all the parts could be purchased from the local radio shack. There was no fancy variable capacitors. It was all varactor tuned. I said, man, this is the receiver for me. I actually used ferric chloride and made the PC board that they recommended. And I really didn't know what I was doing. I saw this thing as like a blob of components. I couldn't see it in individual stages. I was new. I was a teenager. I was 17. I put the thing together and I could not get it to work. And it was really disheartening. And, I, and, you know, back in the day, back when there was no internet, there was nobody I could really turn to for help. So I never got the thing working. 38 years later, I tried it again. And I was able, after 38 years, to get it to work. But it wasn't easy. I had the help of DEX, ZL2DEX, down in New Zealand. And he spotted that when I wound the, uh, the coil, the transformer for the VFO, I put the proper number of turns on. I put it on the right spot on the on the base coil on the choke that they were using the solenoid choke but I had wound it the wrong way the wrong direction the dials the the winding sense was wrong which means that I wasn't introducing positive feedback to meet Barkhausen's criteria so but I was actually oscillate. introducing right I was I was I was introducing negative feedback and that's why the oscillator wouldn't work so I yanked off the secondary coil, wound it the right way, boom, it worked. And I figured, okay, that was my problem. But this week, or this month, I got another email, a comment on a blog post, on a, on a, on a, on a YouTube video. Rick, WD5L, had also attempted to build the, the receiver, and he had failed. And he said that his failure was based on his placement of the FET, used in the VFO. They have a VFO that was running off an FET, a Radio Shack part. But the on the PC board diagram, they had it they had you you would plug the uh, the, 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 the the transistor in and it would be drain source gate. The way the PC board was laid out, the source would go to uh, ground, which is where you would want. You want the source gate at ground. Was grounded. But actually if you use the part that you got from Radio Shack and you plugged it in that way the gate was grounded, and the VFO. There's just no way it would work. So I said, "Oh man, that that uh, that could have been a second showstopper." Yeah. I mean, I'm, I definitely got the, the the winding of the dial sense wrong, but I could have also just, like many other people, just plugged in the transistor and thought that it was okay. You know, I got emails from a number of guys who also, as teenagers, tried to build this thing and failed. And I'm talking about people who are pretty accomplished. Home brewers. Mike Bryce, he oh, yeah, yeah. wrote to me. Kirk Kleinschmidt, he wrote to me. He worked at ARRL headquarters. He tried. How many others tried and failed to build this thing? There were other errors in it. I mean, really, I mean, showstopper, horrible, horrible errors. I never saw an errata. Nobody ever came out and said this was wrong. There was no uh, there, there were many subsequent articles from, from QST about rigs in the series There was a CB slider, all this other stuff about building stuff on tuna cans and herring cans all this other kind of stuff but no no errata on this stuff and so anyway I uh, we, I think we we got it straightened out and I finally because I picked up a, um, a herring aid 5 at a ham fest earlier this year and this allowed me to work on um, a, a herring aid 5, as originally designed and built. And I went in there and I could see that the guy who built this figured out the winding sense problem on the transformer for the VFO. So you got the VFO working. But another big problem they had is in the AF amplifier chain, they had a 10 microfarad cap to ground. 10 microfarad cap to ground in AF. This is going to take all the AF and dump it right to ground. So this thing, even if it's built as per the schematic, it's going to be deaf as a doornail. Yeah. And, and sure enough, the guy who built this working Gate five that I picked up at the Hamfest had included the bad capacitor to ground. So he was good enough to fix the FET, but he wasn't good enough so that he could spot an obvious schematic error in the QST article. That was not corrected, by the way, by any form of errata. Um, so we just kept finding more and more problems in it. Pete, What I, I came to a conclusion about this whole thing, and that is the direct conversion receivers that we're designing and building today are far superior to the Herring-Aid 5. Even if you got the Herring-Aid 5 completely squared away and took care of all these problems, it would still be a pretty poor receiver in all kinds of different ways. Whereas the one that the Dean and I built for the high school students, Far, far superior, and I actually did the test. I I, I took my completely fixed Herring aid Five, put it on the bench, and put it right next to the, Night um, and day. the 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 TJ the DCRX that we built. Night and day. I mean, I, I don't even I, I um uh, George N two um, APB up uh, and uh, in 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 New Jersey had written to me and said, well, maybe we should, you know, take another shot at the Herring aid Five. I was thinking, man, don't, don't start over. Don't, don't, don't even try. It's just like, you know, don't try to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You know, it's, it's, it's not really worth it. The other thing I discovered, and I was reminded of this, the great benefit of our Manhattan style or dead bug style construction, because the Harry Eight 5, it's built on a PC board. So you're constantly having to flip this damn board over. You want to change a part, you got to flip it over, unsolder the part, flip it back, pull the part out, put the new part in, flip it over, solder the part in. And you do that, you know, five or six times and leads start breaking. It's just very uncomfortable. And I found myself yearning for our Manhattan dead bug style construction where everything is above the board. And you could just go in there and boom, pull the part out. So, man, uh, the Herring Five, ugh, thumbs down, thumbs down. But it, it's a reminder of, of how many of us were really kind of turned off by just just terrible articles in QST, I have to say.
1: Uh, you're so right. As a matter of fact, I built a project out of QST, and if you built it, you could end up killing yourself. This was a uh, 3CX800A7 linear amplifier. And I looked at the schematic, and I says, boy, you build that, you're going to blow something up. So I found the author of the article, and he told me that, they gave him the parts, he built it, he sent it to ARRL, they diddle with it, never let him check the final article and they just published it. Yeah. And I said, yeah. well, what about this thing? He said, you're right. He says, you you blow something up if you build it like it was in the article. So I guess not many guys built that amplifier, but I mean, you could have got electrocuted.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, <clears throat> I think a lot of people did build a Herring 8-5. And let me put out a call here because I, am, I, am, I have, a, I have a, <laughs> an unpublished blog post that, that is entitled Herring 8-5 Body Count. <laughs> how many of you guys tried to build a Herring 8-5 back in the day and failed? Or how many of you guys tried to build it and figured out what the problems were and got it working? Please send me an email. Let me know because I will add your project to the the body count uh figures which are pr- quite good pete the other thing this reminded me of is the great benefit that we enjoyed today because of the internet and the world wide web i mean a, so a project like the herringade 5 come out in july 1976 have all kinds of problems in it and if nobody at at ARRL or qst bothered to put out an errata Thousands of people all over the world are kind of stuck with this thing and nobody can figure out why. Everybody builds it and thinks, oh man, I must be a terrible builder. I can't get this simple receiver to work. It's in the novice column of, of QST, for God's sake. Well, it must be me. It's not me, it's them, it's yes, the article, yes, right? Yes. But nowadays, with email and instant feedback, Dean and I discovered this. We would, we would discover a change, usually a change that I had made in the schematic. And then, oh, yeah, we better tell the students about that. So, boom, a couple of keystrokes, everybody knows how it's changed, right? And so, and if somebody runs into problems and says, as, as we, you and I get all the time, you get an email from somebody saying, I can't get this thing to work. Help me, help me. And we do. We help them out. we are gonna to move them along. But
1: back in the day, you couldn't do that. Yeah, so, just, just um, no way to do that. Hey, I'm going to send you a uh, email that uh, Tony Fishpole sent me yesterday. A guy built uh, my version of the direct conversion receiver in the UK. And it's really nice looking. And the thing that caught my eye is he made, he etched a Manhattan board. <laughs> in other words, he made all the squares and he etched them. So, so this way you look at it, and it's just nice quarter-inch squares on this PC board, and he built things Manhattan style. So, I mean, once you got the etching pattern, you, you, Why you not? keep keep redoing that. You'll you'll see that. It really, you really could cool do it. Look. You
0: could do do it. As, but the, the benefit is it's all on the top, and you don't yeah, have to flip yeah, the yeah, thing yeah, over could, every time you solder yeah, something in. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, um, let us know if you if you built a Herring aid Five or anything else. Hey, on a more positive note, um, books. I've, I've, you know, I've been traveling around a lot, and I've, I've been fortunate to have some books with me. First of all, I'd like to recommend the three books by Basil Mahone. What a great name! What a great name, Basil Mahone. Man, that's a cool name. But he and and a cool name with three great books about the history of radio. The one I'm reading right now is about uh, Faraday. Uh, his first book is. Oh, I got it over here. The man who changed everything about. Michael uh, about no, about about Maxwell James Clerk Maxwell. The earlier books deal with Maxwell's interactions with with Faraday, and uh, and he has a third book about Oliver Heaviside. But all of them deal with this kind of late nineteenth century, early tw- late nineteenth century period in radio development, in electronics development. Really well written. He is a, a former uh, British Army officer, and he's got he's got the the writing skills and the technical knowledge to really describe very well what was going on with these great inventors, physicists, scientists, developers. Very often you'll, you'll find somebody who's got good writing skills, but you could tell that they just don't understand the technology, so the book is lacking, or vice versa. But Basil actually has both. He has both the technical understanding and... And the really, really uh, great writing skills. So take a look at his books. I've got posts on all of his books up on the Solder Smoke did, blog. You could take a look at that.
1: Didn't he write that book with uh, Linda Forbes?
0: He did. That was the second book. Second. That was the book about uh, Faraday and Maxwell. Yes. Um, our our friend uh, Armand down in Richmond, WA1UQO, sent me the first two books. <clears throat> really, really great stuff. So I became a big Basil Mahone fan, and I, I recommend his books. Another book that came my way, and I I found out about this guy, is is Don Isles. Don Isles was a a software uh, programmer, one of the originals. And he wrote a book called Sunburst and Luminary, an Apollo memoir. He was, uh, it's amazing, like a a 24-year-old, 23-year-old, 24-year-old graduate in Boston Wandering around, looking to find a job. He couldn't get a job in, in a, in the, in, in the, in, with insurance companies. He was a math major. I think he had gone to, to BU or something like that. And he just happened to wander into the MIT Instrumentation Lab on a day that they were looking to hire somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. They hired him. There you go. He, be, he became like one of the, the, one of the lead programmers, if not the lead programmer, on the lunar module Mom. uh that, that that landed Neil Armstrong and all the other Apollo astronauts on the moon. And his he gives a real candid description of how they how they did this using the technology of the day. Rope core memory. Rope. Holy I mean literally they, they would call it if they if they got a piece of software that they wanted to change, they would change it in the rope and they would they would say, oh it's in the rope. Wow it's at true. one point they at one point they discovered an error in the Apollo 11 software just weeks before launch and they they figured well, it's only a remote chance that it'll that the bug will happen if it does happen it'll be catastrophic <laughs> so they asked they asked Neil Armstrong what to do about it and Neil looked at them and said, "Fix it
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: They literally had to climb up into the Saturn V to remove the box that contained that portion of the rope, rewire it, rewind through the ferrite cores so that the program would be as it was supposed to be. And that's what they flew. That's what they flew to uh, to the moon. So really, really great stuff. Finally, the the book that I want to mention, and this is responsible for the T-shirt that you and I are both wearing. you are, you I are both wearing transistor man t-shirts this is a book that i've been meaning to get for a long time called the art of electronics by horowitz and hill and somebody was talking about this it might have been the inside guy was talking about it i think it was the inside guy and and he mentioned that the art of electronics the current version is really expensive however if you go back and you get an earlier edition they're far more reasonably priced so i got the second edition of the art of electronics by horowitz and hill man an amazing book Really good, and and Paul Horowitz is a is a ham. He was a ham as a kid. He still has his ham license, and he's got this very practical kind of no nonsense, not too much math, not too much theory, just enough um, that 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 really makes it a, a great a great read and very illuminating. But he has in there, and and I, this caught my eye. You'll see the T-shirt here. It's called Transistor Man and it shows you basically how a transistor works in one little picture. This is a picture that actually appears in the Art of Electronics, and it, it has on it a formula, too. It has the formula for HFE, for, Ga- for transistor gain, and it just says I sub C equals HFE times I sub B. And what the trans- transistor man is doing there, he's keeping an eye at I sub B, right? And basically, whatever I sub B is, he is changing the value of the pot, the rheostat here, to permit more or less current to flow through there. And in a, in a very kind of simple way, there you have HFE, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I became aware of the T-shirt because Horowitz was being interviewed by Lady Ada Lenore Freed, who runs that great company, Atta Fruit, in New York City. And during the interview... Lady Ada was wearing one of these t shirts, and I just said, Man, want one? I want one. They're not available anymore. But Roy, we're not going to mention specific because he, he doesn't want to get into the t shirt business. business. He made two of them, yeah, and he sent one to Pete and one to me, yeah. and that's what we're wearing yes. today. So, we're wearing our Art of Electronics Transistor Man bling. Thank you for, for sending that, Roy really cool great t-shirts oh yeah and another bling we have pete has his bling too pete has some lamacan bling and i do too move yours pete a little bit because you got there you go there you go you can see it and i got mine there the lamacan amateur radio club in Hyderabad, india we are both bling. honorary members i think yes. i got i looks so i have other bling here let's, look, let's talk about bling i have the coffee mug that um, dino sent me from williamsburg from the radio club down there and look i even got a i have a jar pete you might not have one of these yes this is i do this is diy marmalade Marmalade, yes have you been eating it yes i have you survived yes all right well i'm gonna try
1: it yes
0: (laughs) i'm only kidding thank you thank you todd for sending that out um hey listen before we get to the mailbag one other thing i wanted to mention and that is test gear that we all have so uh the tiny SA, the tiny spectrum analyzer. I mentioned it earlier that I, I kind of can fire it up and tell whether my signal is clean or dirty. It's it's kind of a cheap and easy way of doing that. But now they've come up with tiny SA Ultra. Ultra.
1: AliExpress. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I I, I I tried to buy one from AliExpress. And I don't want to badmouth AliExpress because they they have a lot of good stuff coming that way. But this somehow I kept checking the tracking and the tracking kept showing it delivered and I would go out to my front porch where all this stuff gets delivered and there's nothing there. All right. So, but it was good because, you know, it's no, no great, no loss at all because I paid for it through PayPal. So I just went there and boom, (laughs) canceled the, uh, the transaction and no money was, was lost. But then I went ahead and I I still wanted a tiny essay ultra and I bought it from the recommended vendor and and I got it. And, and man, it is a beautiful piece of gear. It's got a bigger screen. It feels more solid and everything else. And and it, it's got a little plug. It's got an earplug in it. You don't have to modify anything. You plug in some earplugs and you can listen to whatever signal you've designated on the screen, which is fantastic. I could listen to 100.3 FM over here and AM signals and everything. Really great stuff. But anyway, so I got that. But listen, around the same time, a guy in the local radio club, George WB5OYP, gave me a for-real spectrum analyzer. Ooh. I mean, this thing's big. It's like, I mean, it's like microwave wow. oven big, okay? Wow. Now, here, here's the device. It's the Polarad. Polarad. Not Polaroid. Yeah. Polarad. Rad. Yes. Polarad 632C1. Yeah.
1: Industry standard. It looks standard. like it's…
0: It, yeah. But here's the thing. I can't find a manual with it, or I can't find a schematic or anything. I found one that was kind of close from a buddy of ours out there in Malta. He had it, he'd worked on it, but it wasn't really close enough. The problem is that there's a problem with one of the rotary encoders that it uses. It's got an optical rotary encoder that's obviously bad, but I don't even want to go in and start working on this thing until I have a, a good manual or at least a schematic for it. So does anyone have a manual or a schematic for the Polarad 632 C1 or something that's close enough? I don't know, maybe the version C2 would be okay. But anyway, check your, check hey, your I'll, stockpile. Hey, I'll send
1: there. you a link of, of a guy that works at uh, MIT and they may have that in the library somewhere I think that'd be great. That'd be really, yeah, really good. Yeah, he, he writes us all the time. I just won't mention his call, but I'll 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 send you an email and you need to talk to him. He probably right. can put his hands on it.
0: That'd be really cool. Send me the email. Thanks. Okay. If anybody else has any ideas, please let me know, Tommy Ed. Also, I'm speaking Spanish. Hey Pete, um listen, mailbag. Yeah, we got a lot of good stuff in the mail back here, and I know we got to wrap this up because it's we're we're in overtime already. Yes. but it's okay. We got a lot of good stuff to. Talk. We mentioned the transistor man T-shirts. There we go. Thank you, thank you to to Roy for for sending those to us. I got really good email from uh, Todd Ve7BPO. All right. Oh yeah. Uh, and he sent me a nice email about audio frequency amplifiers and, and shortfalls and problems with audio frequency amplifiers. It's so great to hear from from, from Todd. Todd is the the longtime Popcorn. proprietor and manager of QRP Builder or Popcorn QRP. Yeah. All kinds of great stuff. An excellent, excellent engineer out there in in, uh, in British Columbia. Also got email from our old friend Wes, W seven Z O I. And you know, Wes is a He's a very private guy, but it, it's really a privilege to be able to exchange email with Wes. When you realize, I mean, this is one of the giants of ham radio engineering—the guy who launched the the solid-state direct conversion revolution—and and here we are, and I'm I'm shooting emails and getting back and bouncing ideas off of him. He's very patient with me, and and I I just want to say it's always a privilege to exchange solid emails with state Wes. Solid-state
1: designed for the radio amateur.
0: Solid state design for radio amateur, experimental methods in RF design, all, all kinds of books and articles over the years. I mean, great stuff. Similarly, it's it's also a privilege to get to be able to exchange email with Farhan Vu2ese. Uh, I mentioned him earlier. I mean, he's he's the driving force behind the Lamakan Club. But but somebody asked about his uh, BidX twenty three, which is the VHF version of the BidX, and uh, he he responded to that, and we're we're working on getting uh, information on that. Hey, listen. I'm not going to say anything else about this, but you know the the Herring Aid 5, I said to myself, well, Jay Rushgrove W1VD, he wrote the article and I I, I sent him an email. He responded, all right But I'm, I don't want to say anything else about it. We'll just leave it at that. Hey, I got a, I got an email from uh Eamon Skelton oh, EI9 yeah. GQ. Ed, and you knew him? Yeah. Pete, you know everybody. All right? And I I we had been talking about him because we have his books. We have his homebrew book and we have his build a transceiver book. And so just on an off chance I I kind of looked around for an email for him and I found it. And I shot him an email and he sent back this really nice email. He mentioned you. Yeah. He mentioned how how you know how he had, you know, c- compared notes with you over the years. What great what a great thing that we can we can be in touch with him. HB, homebrew to homebrew. I, I mentioned on the blog a QSO that I had with Denny, VU2DGR, over there in Kerala, India. This is really great because Denny was running homebrew gear, including a tube-type amplifier that Ooh. he built and, and uh, an SDR, a Raspberry SBR, SDR rig that he had built. But, you know, the amazing thing was just this morning, Pete, just as I was getting up this morning... I checked the DX spot page and I saw his call. He was on 20 meters this morning, but he was on 20 meters going long path. Not over the North Pole, over the South South Pole. pole. So I, I first, I put the beam on North Pole and I couldn't hear him at all. I swung it around to the South Pole and there he was. So I heard him this morning. I didn't work him this morning, but I heard him this morning. And it's always good to hear somebody that you know on the radio. Um, Nick M zero NTV, Nick, the Vic, um, did a really great video on whether matching matters. (laughs) He's talking about the diodes that go into our diode ring mixers. I think you and I express a little bit of skepticism about how, how, how much it matters because sometimes you'll read these articles and guys will act like you have to go in there and match these things to the nth degree, you know? but then they're not they don't seem to be paying as much attention to the transformers that go on yeah, either end. It's the whole thing. Or the or the Manhattan pads or the wire or you know. And then you very wisely put in a trim pot even on the SBL1, right? Yes. And so that was that was really cool. Anyway, Nick went ahead and he did the test. He he carefully matched some diodes for a diode ring mixer. And then, he, and then he built a second mixer, exactly the same, except using completely unmatched, randomly selected diodes. And he discovered that there was no real difference between the performance of the two. But take a look at Nick's video. I have a, I have a link up there on the blog. Um, Paul Taylor wrote in to both of us. Paul Taylor, another really amazing home brewer. He's down in Melbourne, Australia, VK3HN. He wrote to us about the, L, the new Ellacraft CW rig. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know. I don't I haven't looked at it, so I don't want to say anything. I mean, I'm sure it, it, it's kind of gonna be popular with the, the POTA guys, but I don't know. Might might bear some scrutiny there. All right. Yeah. I wish it, them it's a lot of luck. Weird. With it. They
1: they it's like a it looks like a walkie talkie, but the controls are on the bottom. So they got the The tuning and the the volume and the paddle on the bottom, so you'd have to hold it in your left hand. I'm thinking, what do you do if you're (laughs) what if you Uh, if you're left-handed? You got to do it the other way. But I'm sure Wayne Burdick uh, and Eric Schwartz have some good thoughts about it. But I mean, it's a it's a great concept, but it just to my ergonomics, I'd have a problem with my fat fingers.
0: Yeah, I know. I know fat finger syndrome. Um, Dean, KK four DAS, uh has actually cracked the code and fixed that old Helicrafters yes. two type receiver. And, and and he stuck with it, man. He just he just there was a long, a long, hard battle. And he stuck in there and, and he had a lot of help from you, me, and Grayson, but I think in the end he fixed it himself. And so hats off to you for a long battle finally won. But also Dean has been recently homebrewing crystal filters and been been kind of consulting the literature on how best to do this. It's been a really good project for him. And in the course of doing that, he reached out and got emails from G3UUR himself from Dave Gordon Smith. Um, and so it's just amazing. He, he was amazed that he got that kind of direct feedback from one of the people who's been in the forefront of measuring, you know, uh, emotional capacitance and emotional inductance inside crystals, so that you could use the the software that's used to predict the values that you need to build around, say, a ten pole crystal filter. <clears throat> I got I've I've had some really good email exchange with a longtime friend of the Solder Smoke podcast. That's Ramakrishnan vu2jxn, <clears throat> and what he's doing is he's help, he's helping me come up with a backup version. Of the solder smoke blog, you know the solder smoke blog. We've been putting it out since like two thousand seven. There's well more than a thousand articles there, and I'm always kind of uneasy.
1: The computer dies. <laughs> what well, do you not, do?
0: No, no. Google decides to pull the plug or something, yeah. right? Blogspot. It's happened. So anyway, we're looking at alternative sites, and we'll come up with. We I think we've come up with a good plan to have a completely separate site. Paid for that, we're going to be able to put the um, the solder smoke blog on to to make it a little bit less kind of endangered by the capriciousness of the uh, the Google folks sometimes. Um, Mark uh, ki 9 ooi noticed that the uh, in a similar similar subject noticed that the solder smoke podcast archive appears to have gone. It's there. It's just been temporarily relocated. If you really need to look at the ar- ar- archive, just go cytosmoke.com.podcastarchive.html. And then we're, we've just moved it temporarily. We heard from Andreas, DL1AJG. Oh, yeah. The biologist. He's the guy who who, who is building, uh, the biologist, and he was working with um, uh, direct conversion receivers with his biology students. He He recently got into Crystal Radio, too, and he sent me this really cool video about a guy who was building uh, crystal radios. And so I have that up on the blog. I mentioned George N2APB. George had involved in the Herring-Aid-5 because um, back around 1998, NorCal, NorCal QRP, redid the Herring-Aid-5. And they made improvements on it. But they, they included in the redesign the bed capacitor to ground. Oh, God, I don't know. We heard from Grayson, KJ7UM, and Grayson has been experimenting with Viractors and Thermotrons. Viractors and Thermotrons. Very fine. Um, good luck to you on that, Grayson. And again, happy Veterans Day to you. Um, Thomas, K4SWL, saw my post. I sent him my post on the direct conversion receiver that, receiver that Matthias Mattia in, in northern Italy had made. Mattia built this thing back around 1996. Man, it is a piece of work it is beautiful the outside the case the socketry, everything is great he even has a little uh, analog meter that he uses as frequency readout I thought that was very very cool and Matthias liked it put it on his blog I mean Thomas liked it put it on his blog and a lot of people saw it and I think got inspired by it he did a
1: review it. of the Elocraft KH1 by the way if you check, check his post
0: I got, what was his bottom line on it
1: uh, he liked it.
0: Oh, he liked it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's it's definitely something that's going to appeal to the uh, the the poda guys, and and uh, Thomas is definitely in that in that group. Um, let's see. I mentioned Bob Weaver, dial spread linearity fame. Check out his website, the Electron Bunker. I have links on the blog. Um, Mike Bryce, B, the B eight V G E is is in, is in the QRP Hall of Fame. Yeah, and he too couldn't get the Herring Aid five to go. When he was a kid, which makes me feel less bad about he, it. If Mike Bryce Kit, can't do he's
1: it, he's the Heathkit guy.
0: Yeah, he he had the Heathkit store. Yeah. Uh, for a while, for a long time. He's also was, was big into the H W eight, QRP Heathkit rig, and big into solar power yes. too. He's been he, and and a prolific and proficient home brewer. Again, a fellow member of the QRP Hall of Fame. And so if, if he had trouble with this rig as a kid, it makes me feel less bad about me having trouble with the rig. Somebody else who had trouble with the rig is, I mentioned, Kirk, uh, Kirk Kleinschmidt, NT0Z. Um, he's a former AWRL staffer. And he also, as a kid, tried and failed to get the uh, eight, the uh, Herring 8.5 going way back when. I have an article on the blog about him, too. Heat one hour twenty five minutes, yes. man. You got anything else to add? No, you got else? no,
1: we're good. We're good.
0: We're good. Holy cow! I know you're very busy. Except, Thanks for taking the time out. Two, two, I'm weeks, sorry?
1: two weeks from yesterday is Turkey Day. Two, I know it's and coming up, and I'm surprised you didn't mention anything about Mars in opposition. This is when you get your telescope out, isn't it? Thanksgiving? No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no. Not this year. It's there's a two year gap oh, between oppositions. Okay. okay, so so the the twenty 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 was really good. 2022 was not Next so good. Year. Next year. Yeah, we got another year for Mars opposition. Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving. It's around Thanksgiving time. That's right. I will hopefully have the telescope set up in the Dominican Republic <laughs> ah. by that point, and we'll look at it that way. So, yeah, but thanks for remembering, Pete. And, Pete, thanks for taking the time out to share some tribal knowledge and tribal wisdom with us. It's always a pleasure. You bet. Take care now. 7-3 from Northern Virginia.
1: 7-3 is from the left coast.
0: 7-3. Thanks a lot, Pete.
1: You bet. Ooh, that's awesome.
0: The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke.com. That's one word at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book Solder Smoke: Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from Lulu.com.